Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to have you with me another Tuesday evening. And because it's Tuesday, that means John O'Hara is with me. So, John, it is great to have you back. Thank you, Joe. Good to be back. No, you're away on a a quasi-retreat, catechetical retreat, if you will, and uh, certainly I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Uh, Speaking of uh, catechetics, speaking of engaging faith, uh, you know, this is what we're about here, really catechizing um, on matters of the faith so that our listeners might be enriched by the faith. And so from one week to the next, we really do call upon the Holy Spirit, John, to just be with us, that the Holy Spirit would would have us say the words that we need right. to say always. And I never want to overlook that because certainly in the end, we are, we are human instruments that are called to pass on the faith. And, and so we have been talking about those, uh, you know, those first figures, the, the church fathers that come to us from primitive Christianity and how they showed us how to hand on uh, the faith. Now, tonight, John, we have an interesting figure, one Eusebius, uh, Bishop of Caesarea, unique because we don't, when we look back into the history books, uh, identify him as we've identified so many other figures, John, a philosopher, uh, a, an apologist, a theologian. We tab these words, titles with some of these church fathers. What we call Eusebius is a historian. He's a bishop, certainly. He is someone who was another muscle-bound intellect, right? I mean, he was a biblical theologian. He was, he was phenomenal at explaining the doctrine of the faith. When you go into a, a history of catechesis, there he is, and, and he was a bishop. Uh, and so certainly a man uh, that knew his stuff, but it is his work as it relates to um, history, recording yes. history, uh, that we talk about him today, I think, John. Caesarea, by the way, is located in the current state of Israel or Palestine. It's a seacoast town named after Augustus Caesar, and yes. they just kept the name. Eusebius was born in the early 260s and died in his late 70s on 30th of May, 339. So those were the time periods that he, he lived. And these were substantial time periods. Um, Constantine was an emperor for a while, and when he began... Uh, he was looking for someone who was quite bright, another leader. I mean, we've seen this before. Mm-hmm. And he found a gentleman uh, by the name of Pamphilius who was mm-hmm. working on Origen. What I don't, it doesn't say that Pamphilius ever met Origen, and Origen may have been in his very late years. Origen may have been martyred at, at the end, but anyway. Um, and Eusebius helped Pamphilius finish his book on Origen, and then Pamphilius was, was martyred, and this was a blow to um, to Eusebius, and he kind of took over the schools there in Caesarea and and worked on. His first book was a book on Chronicles, interesting book, and he went through and took a look at some of the major religions. He did the Chaldeans, the Assyrians, the Hebrews, the Egyptians, the Greeks, and the Romans, 
and he was going to prove that the Hebrews had the best take on religion. Mm-hmm. And I think typology, one of our favorite words, was yes, one of it. Yes, it, it very much was. Yeah, it very he much went through was. all of these uh, religions, and he goes through their various leaders. He begins with Abraham, who he has uh, been born around tw- uh, 2016 B.C., I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And he makes lists of all of these people. He was a methodical historian. Mm-hmm. And that's his first book, is these Chronicles. Is there any other kind of historian? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, yeah. But he, uh, uh, like I said, he was kind of a, uh, I don't want to say he was, he was not tedious, but he, he wanted to get his facts right, and he sure. had. And another thing I want to point out is Caesarea had a fabulous library, so he had a good resource to look at. So his Chronicles was his first, was his first book. Yeah, and John, on that note, it would be important to, to, to say, you, you've already mentioned the name Origen, it was after Origen left Alexandria, right, that he went to Caesarea, yes, he did. and he not only established the major school in there, but, but really this massive library from which, of course, Eusebius uh, drew from a, a great deal. So that, was, uh, that library uh, and Origen was very important, yeah. very important. After that, he wrote a book called Apology, and in that, he dealt quite a bit with uh, Justin Martyr and uh, talked about um, martyrdom and apologetics, that is, a defense of the faith. And you mentioned earlier theologians and philosophers. I think he was kind of more of a jack-of-all-trade type. Mm-hmm. I mean, many of these guys were. Yeah. I mean, they didn't go to college and major in something. And uh, then after that, he began on his History of the Church, which is his phenomenal book written in 10 books and... Uh, Anyway, he started that. Mm-hmm. And uh, book number one deals with Christ and the Incarnation and why that is a fulfillment that is hugely important. And then he kind of begins with the Ascension of Christ and begins to go through uh, um, r- right up into his time. Mm-hmm. And if I could just make a little... He has a very interesting appendix at the end of the history of the Church in which he lists all the bishops of Rome. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. he goes through all of the major seas, the four major seas, Antioch, uh, Alexandria, and um, I got Rome, and I think I'm missing one. But anyway, he lists all the bishops. He lists all of the emperors of Rome. So, I mean, he was a methodical guy. Mm-hmm. And, and this is necessary. You know, yes. why did Pope Benedict XVI uh, start his pontificate with... The, the series on the Apostles, what we're talking about right now. Collectively, what we've been drawing from John over these past 20 weeks has been Pope Benedict and his Wednesday audience series on just not the Apostles, but those who have succeeded him. And certainly, Pope Benedict himself was drawing from Eusebius in some of his catechesis. Uh, there's a series of lectures you can buy called the, called the Great Courses. I mean, they're, you, they're advertised all... One of the lecturers was a man named uh, Mr. F.X. Noble, professor of history at Notre Dame, and when he t- he did a series on popes, went through all, and uh, he mentioned Eusebius. And the reason we know some of these early popes is because of him, because yes. there's not a lot of records left. I mean, they were not in office for very long. Sure, but we we can thank him for the knowledge of these early popes. Yeah, amen. Yeah, we we need these guys, and certainly part of this ecclesiastical history was just not a list of names, but really he's offering up the cultural milieu, yes. all of the um, all of the cultural elements, if you will, that, that surrounded not only the region that he was in, but also all of the circumstances, John, that surrounded all of the 
figures that we have been talking about, whether it's Clement in Alexandria, Polycarp in Smyrna, Ignatius in Antioch. With a fine-tooth comb, he worked his way through all of these figures with ink and manuscript. He was very fine in his points as, as he detailed uh, the, the culture that surrounded these figures, and that was very important to him. I wanted to read John some of his opening words, and I believe it is his actually his opening words to the ecclesiastical history and why he wrote it. Uh, you know, the first seven volumes of the ten-volume work, or the ten-treatise work, Ecclesiastical History, is devoted to the apostles and their successors, okay? And just not the names, but certainly the lives they lived. So this is what he has to say. It is my purpose to write an account of the succession of the holy apostles, as well as of the times which have elapsed from the days of our Savior to our own, and to relate many important events which are said to have occurred in the history of the church, and to mention those who have governed and presided over the church in the most prominent dioceses and those who in each generation have proclaimed the divine word either orally or in writing. It is my purpose also to give the names and number and times of those who through love of innovation have run into the greatest heirs and proclaiming themselves interpreters and promoters of a false doctrine, have, like fierce wolves, unmercifully devastated the flock mm. of Christ. Striking. Striking. So we can really get a sense there what's going on. You know, there's this tension that we've talked about so much in the lives of these church fathers and the heresy that surrounds them. A word that he used that you read is succession. Mm-hmm. He was interested in that idea. Mm-hmm. Yes, very much so. A word that we have talked about a great bit, and I think we're going to get to it here uh, in a short while. He goes on, And to record the ways and the times in which the divine word has been attacked by the Gentiles, and to describe the character of the great men who in various periods have defended it in the face of blood and of tortures, and finally the mercy and benevolence which our Savior has afforded them all. Uh, So certainly... While Eusebius embraces many fears, what lies at the foundation is the succession of the apostles as the really the foundation stone of the church. There's a great line he offers up, John, I wanted to read. A beautiful line that speaks to really what succession is all about. And he says this, But these men preserve the true tradition of the blessed teaching directly from Peter and James and John and Paul, the holy apostles, like a son receiving it from a father. And by the blessing of God, they came down to us to deposit those ancestral and apostolic seeds. This program is called Seeds of Truth for a Reason. We want to plant seeds, right? And part of that, John, is to go into our past. In the second week, we talked about you know, why study history? And Eusebius reminds us why. We need to get to know those figures that lay down their life. When I taught sixth grade, I offered my sixth grade students that, uh, that assignment on the family tree. And I encouraged uh, the parents to be involved in, uh, involved in this assignment because I knew that it would uh, provoke within them a sense of family pride. But moreover, a sense of identity. Not that they didn't 
know their identity or they're going through some identity crisis. But it's to say, John, to know where we came from is to better know who we are and also where we are going. I'll always have etched into my memory those parents at Notre Dame school with their children presenting. I allowed their parents to be over. This was a part of it, right? Part of the assignment to present on their family tree. And there was such pride. There, there was an honor. There was a nobility as they talked about who they were, where they came from. And above all else, the tenacity that had gone before them so that they had the opportunities that they have today. You know, why does Eusebius, you, you use the word, tediously record these events? He wants us to know and to come to appreciate uh, what these men were about, and the many sacrifices that they made. Uh, so important. He devotes quite a bit of time to talking about the martyrs, John, and uh, if we could read something from uh, his work on the martyrs. He says this, and this is just a quick excerpt. There's so much. Countless numbers, men, women, and children, despising this passing life, endured various forms of death for the sake of our Savior's teaching. Many would leap, and he would witness this, right? Mm. And he's witnessing it. He's not looking back and talking about mm. it. He's recording it as he's witnessing it. Many would leap up to the tribunal before the judge and confess themselves Christians. And with joy, and this is striking here, John, with joy and laughter and gladness received the final sentence of death. We saw with our very own eyes the power of that personal testimony, John. With our very own eyes, the houses of prayer cast down to their foundation from top to bottom, and the inspired and sacred scriptures committed to the flames in the midst of the marketplaces. His best friend was a martyr. I mean, the, the, his mentor was a martyr. Yes. It, it is no wonder, John, that a man like this picked up the pen and started to record and to write feverishly so that the likes of you and I can know more about these men. It is a tragedy today what is happening across the world, and I know we've talked about it as we speak to the martyrs. There are many martyrs Ooh. today across the world, China, uh, Libya, Syria, all these different places, and they're being lost. You know, yeah. they're, I mean, certainly... They are, I'm sure, celebrating with our Lord in the heavenly Jerusalem. But th their heroic yes is not being recorded. And what a gift it is to us, John, to be able to read about these men. Why is it that so many Christians are drawn to the church fathers? Because of this man and what he recorded. Um, I suspect that many of the murder, martyrs in those early centuries are unknown to us. There was mm -hmm. just a lot of them. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad we know the names of some of them. But mm -hmm. I mean, think just as today, many of them went anonymously to their death. I, I thank them for their example. Yeah. Very much so. If there was, uh, if there was two, three, four yeah. recorded, that, that means there are probably two, three, four hundred not recorded. Yeah. Um, the, the, the persecutions began under Nero and a, a sort of a death sentence was passed out on Christians. But it wasn't enforced uniformly, and it wasn't even enforced by the emperors. They were too far away. It was enforced by their generals, and some of them were blasé. Some of them were quite, mm -hmm. you know, they didn't like the Christians because mm -hmm. the Christians didn't uh, worship their gods, who they thought those gods had made Rome the great, the great empire that it was. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
So the persecutions were uneven, but they were definitely there, and we've heard a lot of persecutions around the area where he lived, mm -hmm. from Alexandria right up to Caesarea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the point that Eusebius makes as we were talking about, this per about these persecutions within his ecclesiastical history, and he makes it another times when you go through it, that he wants us to see, and this is what we talked about in the second week, <laughs> that history is not some random series progression of events, but an event of freedom, an event where man chooses God over the world. I love that line. They leapt from their chair to oh. confess the name of Jesus Christ, and they did it with joy and laughter and gladness. That's so striking to me, John. And what he wants us to see is that when we look into the depths of history, that we might see this moral component to it, that in this infinite mystery, we might see how Jesus himself is actually guiding and instructing history. So important. We have seen through the course of our talks that some Christians went into heresy, and uh, he was quite alert to this and wanted to point out the yes. errors and the greatness of the succession and keeping the faith as Christ enunciated it intact without weird things, unchristian things coming into it. Mm -hmm. And he was quite concerned about that. Yeah, he, he makes the point. Uh, it is the devil's number one task to oh. cut that thread, that thread of, of apostolic succession. Most yeah. interesting yeah. Uh, that a man of his stature and, and his relevance would, would really offer us that insight. Most compelling. Around 300, there was peace in the empire, at least for him. Yes, And I think yes. during that time, he wrote a lot of books 1 through 7. And he kind of thought that God had taken Christianity through this great crisis, and then, ba-bang, along comes Diocletian. Mm -hmm. And it's just as bad as it can get. And Jesus is behind all of this. Mm -hmm. This is the mystery about it, you know, we've been talking about mystery a great deal recently on this radio program, and, and I always go back to fundamentally what that word means. Yes, in the Greek, the mysterion, the inexhaustible reality, that's what it means literally. But when you go into the root, the Greek mio means to initiate one into this religious experience, to initiate one into this religious encounter. Well, of course, within the context of the great Christian mystery, it's this encounter with Jesus Christ and how many souls were saved, John, because as men and women looked into these coliseums and amphitheaters, looked into the face of Jesus Christ as they saw these men and women give their lives to Jesus Christ, they had a personal encounter. Again, this is why Tertullian says what he says, the blood of the martyrs mm -hmm. is effective Christian seed or the seed of the church. I wanted to get to uh, another piece from uh, Eusebius where he talks about Jesus. Jesus alone of all those who have ever existed is even to the present day called Christ, that is Messiah and Savior of the world by all men throughout the world and is confessed and witnessed to under this name and is commemorated both by Greeks and barbarians and even to this day is honored as a king by his followers throughout the world and is admired as more than a prophet and is glorified as the true and only one high priest of God. 
And besides all this, as the pre-existent logos of God, there we go again, that language that's, that we've been talking about, called into being before all ages, he has received august honor. I love that word, august honor from the Father and is worshipped and adored as God. But most wonderful of all is the fact that we who have consecrated ourselves to him honor him not only with our voices and with the sound of words, but also with complete elevation of soul, so that we choose to give testimony unto him rather than to preserve our own lives. So what does he want us to see as we look into history, John? That any historical analysis is never an end in itself. It is not made solely with a view to knowing the past. Rather, it focuses decisively on this element of conversion, on this element of one who lifts their soul to God, praising God. This is what it's about. And yes, he's talking about the first 320, 325 years. But I tell you, John, 2,000 years later, you know, we can still say Jesus Christ has shaped and formed history. So important. I got a little clue when I was going through Eusebius that he liked a personal relationship with Christ. Now, that might be a little bit far out because that's a very current phrase. And where I was at Franciscan University, a personal relationship with Christ is extremely important. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always been important. But he seemed to have the words that indicated Christ (coughs) was quite a God to him. Yeah, very much so. And it's to remember that they were speaking in the language of intimacy. We were talking about this a little bit last week with St. Cyprian of of Carthage. This language was being used. Personal relationship with Jesus Christ, they would speak to it as Romans 8 would speak to it. We did not receive the spirit of slavery in which we fall back into fear, but the spirit of adoption which we cry, Abba, Father. I mean, and, and in that sense, yeah, that's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, very much so. Um, this moral component is so important to understand uh, because as we study history and we look at these figures, it is the Holy Spirit that is certainly guiding and forming history, even if it doesn't make sense. But this is part of the mystery. The mystery provokes. The mystery calls us out. And I'm not talking about John mystery in the sense of solving a logical puzzle or a suspenseful whodunit by a clever gathering of and analyzing of clues. I'm talking about that mystery in the classical sense, the mystery of what it means to go on bended knee and to really insert ourselves into a life in Christ. That's where we gain access. I'm glad you said that because these are not easy times for Christians, and we're just part of the Holy Spirit's plan. We just go along and we pray, do our best, give a good example. And we can do our best to try to remove Christ. Here we are 2,000 years later. I, I was thinking before we came on air here this evening, when I was going to Chico State, I still remember to this day uh, my uh, Western Civ One professor walking into the room and he says, well, I've got an announcement to make. And all of us are, oh, okay, he's got an announcement to make. Our Western Civ professor, did we all, you know, fail the exam? (laughs) We didn't know what to think. And he starts to explain how he just came out of some meeting, and they changed our timeline, right? Our timeline went from B.C. and A.D. to B.C.E. and C.E. So it went from before Christ to 
A.D. and Domini, year of our Lord, to uh, B.C.E., before Common Era, and C.E., Common Era. But as he was talking about this, I could not help but think, John, you still have a problem. You do. In, in, in the middle of history, you have a man who came down, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he still defines however you want to break it up before Common Era and Common Era. Every time we write on the corner of a paper, John, what, July 22nd, 2014, what are we claiming? July 22nd, the year of our Lord, 2014. And whether you say A.D. or C.E., the reality is a man entered into human history and still gives shape and definition to our timeline. When I say that, I mean it, yes, figuratively, but also literally. I found that change to be so hypocritical. And for exactly the reasons you mentioned, it's still 2014. And I think the school that changed that would like to have changed the numbers as well. I mean, mm-hmm. like he did in the French Revolution. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, they were unable to do that. They would if they could have. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the tail wagging the dog. What are we doing? And if you think about it, really, it really highlights that history is objective. History does not spring forth from non-event. Again, we're coming full circle a little bit with the points we made in the first few weeks. But this is what Eusebius wants us to see. This is what Eusebius is all about, John. He wants us to appreciate this moral dynamism that really carries history because it is Jesus Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit that ushered in history and ultimately brings fulfillment to history. At Franciscan, this is a little aside. Julia, uh, Augustus Caesar writes a letter to Roman upper class saying, guys, this is to the guys, we, we only reason we're married is because we have to get married. Now, we have got to have kids. We've got to lead right because we are not having kids to replace our upper class Romans. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. you're going to be arrested and fined. You know, we have to start living right for the sake of the empire. And I'm thinking, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> think of yeah. Singapore with its, with its yeah. child. Ex- anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The same things that are going on now. Augustus Caesar faced. <laughs> yes, yes. And it brings us back to Mark Twain, right? History never repeats itself, but it does have a rhyme scheme. Uh-huh, and this yes. is what we see. This is what we're talking about. Exactly. There is this kind of rhythm uh, that has played itself, played itself out throughout history. And the point that uh, Benedict XVI makes as we're talking about this is we have to go back into history and study history and appreciate this mystery, John, of how Christ is moving in and through history and, he, and how he brings all things unto himself so that uh, man might be fulfilled ultimately in the end in salvation. So, all very important. There's so much in Eusebius. This is why Eusebius is going to be two weeks worth, John. So next week we are going to have the opportunity to, to get more into Eusebius, uh, most especially Uh, the conversion of Constantine, which is such a pivotal event in church history. Some church history, uh, church historians would suggest the most pivotal event. And of course, we also have the great Nicene Council in which we get the Nicene Creed, which is really uh, the the barometer of of what we believe and of course what we profess. And this is why we we say the Nicene Creed um, every day and every weekend during Mass. So all very important. Well, great program, John. Uh, thanks for uh, being on board with me again. Thank Once you. again, I appreciate it. Let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do give you a special thanks and praise for the gift of this evening, the gift that you have given us in the opportunity of reflecting upon these great men that you inspired in and through history. We pray all of these things through your most holy and precious name. 
Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.